It is Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as the weather decidedly turns from nice fall to not so nice fall and maybe a little hint of winter coming this weekend. My three-year-old must have heard a weather forecast somewhere because he keeps telling me it might snow on Sunday and I'm trying to ignore that but i think he might be right um and i'm not ready for that if you guys are more power to you um i am ready for a great show today however um andrew kramer from the star tribune will join me here in just a little bit to talk vikings talk about that 49ers win from monday night looking a lot of play on the offensive and defensive line that stood out in the film review as well as some looking ahead to what's coming up next for the Vikings. Also have Vikings poetry. Um, the only way to properly express ourselves, as usual, is to get into the weeds on poetry um, with that with that Vikings game. So that will be coming up here in a little bit. Got a World Series thought towards the end of the show. That is set now. Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks are in the World Series against the Texas Rangers. I have to imagine that was pretty far down on the list of possible uh, World Series matchups once when the when the season started certainly even when the when the playoffs started both of those teams were not uh, not heavily favored at all but that will be your world series starting friday so a couple thoughts on that towards the end of the show got a timberwolves thought here in a minute first though what did i miss wild win 7-4 against the oilers on Tuesday, no Connor McDavid for Edmonton, which makes the task much easier on defense if you're the Wild. Gave up four, but got seven, including a hat trick from Ryan Hartman. That top line for the Wild, Hartman centering, Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello, off to a slow start this season. I think they had four goals as a line combined coming into that game. And, you know, part of the reason the Wild had looked a little sluggish to begin the season. Not terrible, not bad, but sluggish, maybe not getting all the points they wanted or needed in the in those first five, six games. So the question becomes what happens then? What do you do when your top line is struggling? And I think in sports it's easy, right? We say Bench that guy. Um, trade that guy. Don't re-sign that guy. We make snap decisions, snap reactions to mini slumps or things that aren't going well in the moment. That is the nature of life right now. That is the nature of sports. Has been for a while, but I think has accelerated as our attention spans and as our attention to kind of game by game has increased as our attention spans have decreased. We lock in on what's happening right now, break this lineup, do this, do that. In hockey, break that lineup is kind of the the big thing, right? Because you don't you bench guys sometimes they fall out of the they fall out of the lineup completely. They sit up in the press box. But a lot of times when you want to affect a change in hockey, it's not a full scale benching. You know, baseball you a guy you know guy loses a starting spot you, he might not pitch or might not play for a long time same with the NFL NBA you might move to a bench role you might fall out of the rotation completely hockey a lot of times the move is more subtle you juggle your lines you have your top guys you know who those players are but maybe they need a change in scenery a change of chemistry i think that's tempting to do 
and I'm I'm glad for the wild sake, and I'm sure the glad the wild are glad too that they didn't feel the need yet to tinker with that line because now they're seeing the fruits of that with that three goal game for Ryan Hartman in that win with the line starting to produce more. But I thought it was interesting. Um, Dean Evison was asked about it after the game, Wildhood coach, about kind of the process he goes through and that a coach goes through and trying to decide, hey, you know, how do we get this line going? Should we break them up? Well, how do we kind of figure this all out? Here is what he said after the Wilds win last night. We felt they were trending in the right direction, right? I don't know if we talked this morning or yesterday about it, but, um, you know, they, they're as disappointed when they don't help the team have success as, as all of us or you guys or anyone. So they, uh, you know, they, they worked their butts off tonight, and they did look like the line that we've known them to be. So you, you didn't consider you, breaking them up, or like, how much did you guys consider it, or it didn't cross your mind? You knew this was coming. You always, you always talk about it, right? But there's a, you know, and I think we, I don't know if we talked about this, but there's a process to this. Yeah. When yeah, you, you right, yeah, that, yeah, you you talk to them individually, yeah. then you talk to them as a group, and you give them their pros, you give them the opportunity to pull themselves out of whatever funk if it's offensively if it's defensively um that's the process it's it's easy probably for coaches just to snap and go okay get them off right just they're the athletes they're the pros they're the ones that are in the arena let's let them try to figure it out before we stand behind them and and try to make decisions. So they did a great job, obviously, uh, tonight. But as I said, if if we didn't see them getting closer and closer, the Montreal game was good, and then you know maybe step, and it, but they're getting closer and closer. They're skating. They uh, they're working. Um, you know they've cleaned up their defensive zone, um, and you know obviously they uh, produced offensively tonight. I thought that was interesting, and a lot of that back and forth came from uh, questions from Sarah McClellan, Wild Beat writer. You can read more of her game coverage uh, in Wednesday's Star Tribune and online right now. But, you know, just the snap decisions we think need to be made, the coaches obviously are putting a lot more thought into it. Even if they decide to break up a line, it's not necessarily just because they're not producing. It's more subtle things they're not seeing. Are they close to producing are they getting chances but not finishing them is you know is is there a lapse in other parts of the game defensive zone coverage things like that does it look like the chemistry is off and maybe there's a lineup that you've gone to before that works there's a lot that goes into it and there's patience that needs to be exhibited and i think maybe we forget about that sometimes and i think the wild is rewarded for a more thoughtful approach at least in this specific example now Will we all have the same perspective and patience on the Timberwolves when they begin tonight in Toronto? Season starts first of 82, a big season ahead for the Wolves. Really good Patrick Royce column, by the way, in uh, in today's paper, and really good Chris Hine piece on Anthony Edwards. Um, Pat, Patrick Royce catching up with Jim Peterson, longtime Timberwolves analyst, um, just recovering from a bout of prostate cancer sounds like he is good to go which is great to hear um he's one of the best in the business love listening to his analysis on wolves broadcasts he really likes this wolves team and i think he is a a straight shooter um even as someone who works ostensibly for the team he will not be one who 
falls too far into the category of homerism. He even addressed that in the Patrick Royce column. He is he is going to tell you what it is, how it is, like it is. And he really likes this team. He thinks they're really deep. He thinks they need to kind of overcome some of the lapses they had last year. So his analysis of this team is about the same as mine. This is a team that could that could be a lot better than maybe we think at this moment if they are able to use that depth, if they are able to use their increasing maturity to their advantage. Now, you got to do it on the court. You got to do it um, you know, when it matters, they were really good in the preseason, didn't lose in the preseason. But if they if they go out and lose in Toronto tonight and rotations look bad, somebody has a bad game, will we resist the urge to say this part isn't working, that part isn't working after just one game? That That is my challenge to myself. That's my challenge to you. Try to see a little bit more of the big picture in this season and the wild season because I think there there could be good things ahead if we maybe exhibit just a little bit of patience. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's review the film and some good news for maybe the first time this season in a lot of what we see in the film, Andrew Kramer, because the Vikings, I, uneven was is probably a polite way of describing their first six games, but there was a lot to like from what they did in that 22-17 win over the 49ers on uh, on Monday night. I talked after the fact about how you know, it kind of changes the narrative of their season, and a lot of what changed that narrative, Andrew, was just how physical they were on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage, something that has not been a hallmark of their season to date. Yeah, this was something that the Vikings going into this game in the days leading up to it talked about. They talked about privately. They talked about among the uh, uh, among the entire team and team meeting settings about getting beaten up by this 49ers team in the past, whether it was the 2022 training camp joint practices right. or the playoff loss uh, or being one in three over the last four meetings uh, against San Francisco over the last few years. Um, they knew that this was a team that, kind of was taunting them every time they played each other. And and Brian O'Neill said after the game, we wanted to kind of meet the bully in the schoolyard kind of approach and bring the fight to them. And and they did. And Brian O'Neill played great against Nick Bosa, Christian Derrissaw as well. Uh, the interior line with Dalton Reisner stepping in at left guard. First play of the game, a 19-yard run. Who thought you were allowed to run no. that far in this offense? But you are. A 19-yard run. Dalton Reisner is leading the charge. He ends up 19 yards downfield with Madison, uh, pushing the defensive tackle he was blocking 20 yards downfield. Like That's the kind of stuff, frankly, you didn't see Ezra Cleveland do uh, very often. It, it seemed like an upgrade, at least for one game, with Reisner in there. Um, and, and you saw it with Cousins not taking a sack. This was the first game that season that the 49ers could not sack the opposing quarterback uh just yeah really impressive up front for both offensive and defensive lines and it does make you wonder why it took an Ezra Cleveland injury to get Reisner on the field and again it's just one game but he I thought he played pretty well in relief in Chicago and certainly gave them a different edge in this game 
Yeah. And sometimes it's just coaches not wanting to mess with things like that. They're, you know, sometimes whether it's uh, superstitious or built in, in reality about the um, cohesiveness and chemistry within an offensive line, it did seem they were reticent to make a change. And frankly, I could see why when we, we talk through these games every week, Mike, but um, when you really go through play by play, like sometimes it's Ingram, who's the worst guard. Yeah. Sometimes it's Ezra, who's the worst guard. And you've only got one guy to switch out. And frankly, how much of a difference is it going to make when TJ Hawkinson and Madison are dropping passes left and right? Like, so this was a, a everything kind of coming together for them, despite the slow start and turnover Again. on the first play. Uh, Hawkinson caught everything thrown his way. Addison rips an interception out of Ward's hands into a, a 60 yard touchdown. Uh, the Vikings had eight players on the field on defense before a two minute warning, but get saved because the Niners don't snap it. And then the Niners have to blow a timeout out of the two minute warning because they're not running the show properly. Um, the Vikings just look like the, the more well-run operation for much of that game. And, and it was the offensive line. It, it, it helped to put Reisner in there. And I do wonder if that's maybe going to lead to a Wally Pip situation where when Ezra gets healthy, maybe that job's not his when he comes back. Yeah, it was what, what you meant. You brought up the Addison play, and I don't think I was planning on talking to you about this, that 60 yarder, but there was, I saw some chatter, a couple different places on why in the world was San Francisco blitzing so heavily on that play where basically the Vikings were out of timeouts. I think all you have to do is keep them in bounds and the, the half pretty much ends and they, end up doing like a sellout blitz where they've got one-on-one and it could have been an interception. Sure. But it turns into a touchdown. It was a very aggressive call. Yeah. By Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator for the Niners, who's obviously different from last year, who was D'Amico Ryans, who who went and took the job with the Texans. So um, the Niners have gone through some uh, ups and downs with Wilkes and, and no more than Monday night. And that call was so aggressive. Uh, in that moment. But when you go back and watch the first half, the interception that Ward made off of Addison um, in, in the, the opening possession, it obviously wasn't the same situation, you know, where you're trying to just keep the Vikings right. uh, from not doing major damage before the clock runs out. But the Niners blitzed. They played press coverage. They bullied Addison. They didn't seem too worried at that point of the 60-yard touchdown that this kid was going to burn us. And clearly with the call, right? And, and kind of the way they were playing it. But they blitzed in a similar scenario in terms of the, the play call on that interception. And they kind of went back to a similar look in a head-scratching moment at the end of the first half. You're, you're absolutely right. But they tried to stick with what was working for them and, and credit to Addison who took what was kind of a poorly thrown ball yes. and, and, and saved it uh, into a huge play. Yeah, Addison obviously overall has a huge night over 100 yards, two touchdowns. He's got six touchdowns on the season kind of giving them some of that game-changing ability, but also he's had a few of them in the red zone too. Um, the one that he caught, the first one that he caught, really nicely thrown ball by Cousins. They talked about it a little bit on the broadcast, and when I went back and, and listened to the to the Manning cast as well, just like letting him get letting him get free releases was a big piece of what they were trying to do in this game because you know he's not the biggest receiver, and if he can get pushed around, which San Francisco was trying to do, he can get knocked off his spot a little bit. But the Vikings were finding a good way to get him into space and you know getting him off the ball cleanly in a lot of those catches. Yeah, and credit to them, credit to Kevin O'Connell and the play designs and what they were able to do with them. Frankly, Addison should have had three touchdowns. Yeah, he missed the, him on that one. 
one of the goal to go scenarios uh cousins yeah as you mentioned he just kind of tries to rifle a ball into a hole really he could have just lobbed it into the back of the end zone for for a touchdown there but they have to settle for a field goal um yeah we saw it on the interception when ward gets really physical with him they try to get the quick slant against the blitz cousins forces that in there and, and really addison was never open because of how physical uh the niners were with him at the line and and the vikings know this and, and addison's 175 pounds he's 21 years old. He's the lightest and youngest player on this team. That is how defenses need to try to stop him is, is, you know, get your hands on him before he can even get into the route to shake you and get open. Cause that's how good he is. And, and the Niners couldn't do it. The, the Vikings outcoached him on that front and the kids got six touchdowns now. Yeah, he does. And other side of the ball difference maker is An- uh, uh, Cam Bynum, obviously with, you know, Part of the force fumble, and then, of course, the two interceptions later. Um, I've talked a lot about the defense this year and how it feels like Daniil Hunter is kind of at least the only name brand in his prime. You know, Harrison Smith clearly has those credentials, and he's had some big games. He had the game with three sacks earlier this year, and he's done some he's done some things. Obviously, he's got you know years of experience, but if you're talking about multiple levels, like who the playmakers are consistently, I don't know who that second guy is. I don't know if Cam Bynum is that long term, but he seems to be taking his game to a different level even before this even before this one. Yeah, incredibly reliable. And he was already showing that. And that's why he stayed on the field and kind of grew as a starter and in, in why they can make a first round pick in Lewis scene. And, and it doesn't he doesn't even sniff the field because of Bynum or Metellus comes on and it's not right. even a challenge to Bynum because of how reliable he is. But um, coaches bring up Cam Bynum's tackling. They bring up his intellect, his instincts, his ability to be at the right spot at the right time. And for being physically limited, uh, he doesn't you don't see him getting run over. You don't see him missing tackles because of that. And it's because he knows how to get the most out of what he's got. And it's because of what's in his head. And then he's really smart. And you see him O'Connell referenced. Do you remember the, the Justin Watson play in the chiefs game where they, Oh, Matt or uh, Mahomes back foot lobs, the, the pass yeah. over, over Bynum's outstretched hands. And O'Connell said, you know, this time Bynum catches that one with the interception because similar kind of diving play over his head. Um, He's been this close to making those kinds of plays this season, and he did uh, stand up and make one. And it's too bad for him. He didn't get credit for the forced fumble with his helmet on Christian McCaffrey. That credit goes to Harrison Smith, who kind of seemed to jar the ball loose maybe with his hand. But I thought I thought Bynum should have got credit for the hat trick, the the three takeaway day. I did, too. I did, too. And, you know, it was. All of it, too, is part of an interesting evolution of this defense where you look at Metellus on the field a lot. So they're showing a lot of like three safety looks and they're, you know, kind of rotating who plays on defensive line, what looks they have it in man versus zone. I mean, it really does show you like Brian Flores is going to do whatever it takes, even in game. He is not necessarily married to a system other than the idea of how can we stop you the best in this moment? Yeah, absolutely. And and you see the blitz rate kind of change week to week. You see the pressure rates change. You see the, the who is on the field change. And, and that's kind of the, been the biggest revelation for this Vikings team is that if you're an offense game planning against them, it's not going to be, I know who's going to be a middle linebacker every third down. I know who's going to be in the slot every second down and 10. 
Um, that changes week to week for the Vikings. And you're seeing one this past uh, Monday night, you saw Byron Murphy follow Brandon Ayuk on the field in ways that he had not before this game. That was a new development. You saw Josh Metellus play 100% of the snaps, which yeah. is also new, uh, playing in a linebacker role when he wasn't at safety or in the slot. That means Ivan Pace wasn't playing as much, but that could absolutely change next week against the Packers if Brian Flores uh, finds a reason to do that. And so I think the flexibility of it, it's it all shows that it was more than lip service this summer that is so much you hear coaches talk about what they want to do uh, and how they envision it and it doesn't play out or doesn't carry out. And you're seeing Brian Flores absolutely do that and get the results in a way that, yeah, the Niners moved the ball, but they couldn't score many touchdowns. Their red zone defense was was really holding them once they got into um, um, Vikings territory. Uh, and it started with, with the run game. It started with Christian McCaffrey having just 45 yards on 15 carries. You play like that you're going to win a lot of times uh, against an opponent if you can force Brock Purdy to try and beat you without Debo Samuel and his left tackle and Trent Williams. Uh, it was just an impressive impressive day by the defense, for sure. Is this sustainable? Let's let us finish with that thought. I mean, we this is definitely the best they've played this season. I don't think we can expect them to play at their best for each of the last 10 games of the year. But, like, if they have this in them, how how much can we expect to see this? Is this a team kind of coming together a little bit, or is this a team where they knew they had to have this game? They kind of threw everything at them, and you know who knows what happens from here. Well, what do you, what what do you, what do we see for the future now? Yeah, I think the defense played one of their best games of the season. I, I think you're not going to get that effort every single week. So right. you know, you're, you're, as we've seen, you're going to drop passes. You're going to get fumbles. Things are going to happen to you. So the Vikings had the ball bounce their way a couple times. Yep. And you had a, a great game in a game that you had to have it. So no, they're not going to play this complete effort all the time, but they're all also going to get Justin Jefferson back at some point. They're also going to get reinforcements back that should theoretically make their ceiling higher than it was last night. Because with Jefferson, who knows what happens in that game? Maybe they play even better and it looks even more uh, impressive for what they were able to do. I think this is sustainable if this offense continues to play mistake-free like they played after the opening possession. Yeah. Uh, If if Kirk Cousins can avoid some of those um, apocalyptic throws where, you know, the intercept on the opening possession, the one that should have been intercepted on the 60-yard touchdown. If he can avoid those kind of mistakes that that still kind of crept up in that game and they can play some clean football for once, this team is very talented and capable of doing things. Um, the question I have is when you face an MVP-level quarterback, uh, right. a true difference maker where Brock Purdy is, is still limited in who he is, um, that is where you see the Justin Herberts, the Mahomes really take their teams to the next level against what is still defensively a, a limited team when it comes to their personnel. Well, they've probably played the best team they're going to play for a long time. The schedule gets a lot different from here. They are going to see some better quarterbacks along the way, though, no doubt about that. And I wasn't overwhelmed by Purdy. I thought he made some nice throws, but he's certainly limited in that way. So you're right, a, a different kind of quarterback could test them. Jordan Love should be interesting next week. He's a guy who's been slumping a little bit in Green Bay, but a guy who kind of presents a dual threat, a young quarterback, but not, you know, he's in his fourth year. So that'll be an interesting matchup for Flores that I'm sure you and I will talk about a week from now. Andrew Kramer, appreciate it as always. I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. 
Enjoyed catching up with Andrew Kramer, as always, and a theme in a moment here for, Vi- for Vikings poetry also will be kind of that last notion that Andrew and I f- finished on. Like, what what can we expect from this Vikings team going forward? Will we see that really good version of the Vikings that we saw against San Francisco more frequently the rest of the way? Um, I think it's a good question, and to a certain degree, it might not matter all that much because their schedule is so forgiving. I went to the New York Times Upshop interactive playoff picture again, plugged in wins and losses for the rest of the way to see how that would impact their playoff picture as they go forward. Remember, this is a team that started 0 and 3. They're now 3 and 4. Right now, New York Times gives them a 57% chance of making the playoffs. Crazy to think, right? They're 3 and 4. A lot of teams still above them or near them. Division race tough right now they only give him a 16 percent chance to win the nfc north but that even feels like a big jump from where it would have been and they do still have both those games against detroit left but here's how i here's how i plugged it in for the rest of the way you can give the vikings wins or losses in certain games to see how it impacts their playoff picture the rest of the way i gave them a win at the packers this coming week i gave them a loss at the falcons in week nine Gave them wins over the Saints at the Broncos and Bears uh, home game. Gave them three wins in a row after that loss to the Falcons. Then gave them two straight losses to the Raiders and Bengals. Gave them two more wins over the Lions and Packers and then a loss at the Lions. So that's six and four the rest of the way. Feels reasonable. You know, gave them, you know, wins in toss-up games, but definitely losses in games that they could win. There's no reason they couldn't win against the Falcons, Raiders, or Bengals on the road. Those are not great teams. Those are decent teams. That Those will be challenging games, but those are not games that they can't win. Um, so, you know, any combination of these could get them in a certain way. But that, that adds up to 6-4 and four the rest of the way, 9-8 and eight for the season. If they do that, New York Times Upshot Interactive Graphics says they have an 88% chance of making the playoffs this year. 88% chance if they go 6-4 and four the rest of the way against a fairly soft schedule. So that is what I know right now. The path is there for them. It's pretty, it's pretty wide open, especially for a team that started 3-4. and four. The Beating San Francisco totally opened up a different lane for them than they would have had. The, the margin for error increases dramatically when you pull off a win like that against a team that you are expected to lose to, a team that you are a touchdown underdog against. That changes the complexion of what you have going the rest of the way. So will they be able to do that? I don't know. That's a good question, but we will address that soon here in the poetry section of this show. It's poetry time on daily delivery. A day late, of course, because the Vikings played Monday night, but... Several dollars short. When am I getting paid for this? You're right. You're right. I've, I've paid you zero dollars for this, um, despite the, the fan mail that keeps pouring in. Um, I've given you zero dollars for your your podcast appearances. Just, just the fame and the glory... That, that, that accompanies being on um, the best podcast around. Do you have, sir, Keith Rashad, do you have some Vikings poetry to properly summarize how you felt about what I thought was a very well-played, good win? Uh, I think a lot of people would agree on Monday night. I think the only way to describe the game, as I've mentioned many, many times, is, is through poetry. Yes, and you even texted me right before the game saying, hey, are we doing this segment? Should I be watching this game through the lens of a poet? So I appreciate that you altered how you were going to watch this game to make sure that you were keeping poetry in mind. Well, life is cruel and hard, and and one must 
keep a hard exterior to get through just the day-to-day doldrums. And so mm-hmm. when you open yourself up through poetry, uh, that's that's a different space, a different state of mind, a different state of being. Anyway, number one. Yes, please. Was it luck or skill? They vanquished an injured team. A confusing win. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if McCaffrey hadn't played, I would be interested in diminishing it a little bit further. But because he played, yes, they were without Debo Samuel. Yes, they're without Trent Williams, two very important players. But let's not forget, Vikings were without Justin Jefferson and Ezra Cleveland, which may or may not have been a good thing because Dalton Reisner played pretty well. Um, that was the absolute best I've seen the offensive line play in I don't know how long. They were good. And so I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm I not an offensive line guru as it is, but uh, me, I don't know. No, Ezra, Ezra Cleveland, just take your time. You're fine. You can, you know, get, get yourself back into shape and make sure you don't come back until it's fully, fully healed. Maybe it's 115%. There we go. There we go. Just, just. Be careful. Be cautious. But it's yeah. it, was, it was. I don't know what to take from this win, right? Right. And 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 every week we get on this podcast and you start screeching about how you want clarity. I want yeah. clarity. I do want and clarity. Want, I do. I want clarity. I want clarity. Clarity. And, and you're not getting it. No. You, this is this is confusing. So in one sense. Right. You can say to yourself, they beat up on an injured team without some key players. And if Devo Samuel's on the field, that is a much different game. Sure. And so, yes, San Francisco is still very good, still very talented, but they're missing some key pieces and and ended up being just a very good win. Right. And, and, but you also say, well, they were, like you said, they're missing Justin Jefferson as well, too. So it's not like it was even in that respect or uneven in that respect. Sure. And so, you know, what do you, what do you take of this victory? Is this, is this a team that is putting it together, having a new defensive coordinator, having some new pieces, having to try to figure some things out? maybe realizing that they can spread the ball around a little bit more without Justin Jefferson. And and are they gelling finally on defense? Are they figuring out what the game plan's supposed to be? Is this a, a dare I say, turning point in the season for the <laughs> have team? They turned the, have they turned a corner? <laughs> have they turned a corner? <laughs> it's hard to tell. Uh, or is this the best game of the season from a mediocre team that yeah. will not be replicated. Right. It's it, they are, a, they, they would seem to be a good, the middling average type of team, which is going to play over its head once or twice a season and play below its capacity, which we've seen already one would right. imagine. Yes, I think so. A couple of times a season. So is this a pivot point or is it just more of the same? Right? Is it is it yeah. a blip? Yeah, I think those are fair questions. I think that's kind of what the rest of the season will tell us. I think at the very least, like you said, whether it's one or the other, we at least know they have this kind of game in them, right? Like they weren't perfect. They left some points on the board. They kicked some short field goals. They missed a field goal at the end that would have at least not iced the game, but made it a lot harder for San Francisco. The field position well, would have been different. That too. Yeah. Um, so the, it was not it was not by any means a perfect game, but you saw what happens when 
the defense plays pretty well. And I'd say the defense played, you know, out of a, on a scale of one to 10, I think the defense was like an eight or a nine. The offensive line was very good. Like you said, Kirk Cousins was excellent. Um, they got a little bit of, I don't say maybe luck is the wrong word, but they recovered a fumble. Those are like 50, 50 plays. They got the play at the end of the first half where looks like it could be an interception. And then it's, you know, caught by Addison for a touchdown. Um, so you see what happens when everything falls into place, but you're right. Is this, something we'll see consistently the rest of the way, or is this something that, hey, they kind of knew that they had to have this game if they're going to be taking anything close to seriously or if they're not going to get a whole bunch of veterans dealt at the trade deadline, and so now they come up with this one big effort and then it'll be a frustrating kind of up-and-down mess the rest of the way. It's probably more likely it's the second, but we at least know they have this game in them now. (laughs) Yeah, they have this this game in them, and, and everything in many respects broke their way because they they turned the ball over right away, but then got it right back and right. won the turnover battle for for the first time. And even with all of that, they only managed to win by five points and were right. hanging on by the the skin of their teeth at the end of it. So, what do you take out of this one? Yeah, I think you take out of it that they 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 showed more than they hey, had. Shut up! I want to do number two. Number two. Let's go. Let's do a number two. Okay. My heart and soul hurt. Life's pain can't be defeated. Those were bad kickers. Yeah, both of them missed what Joseph missed the 50 yarder and an extra point. And 49ers kicker missed like a 40 yarder, which <clears throat> nobody misses 40 yarders in the NFL, especially on turf these days. I thought it was kind of funny. And on the broadcast, they were talking about how he was like slipping during pregame warmups and how the turf was, you know, he was having a hard time kicking. He did make a Moody made like a long one later, like a 55 yarder. So it wasn't all bad. And Joseph did make a couple short ones and a 54 yarder. But I think, I think maybe what you're saying is we expect kickers to make pretty much everything, especially indoors these days. Kicking has gotten so much better. There's such a standard that even a 50 plus kick, we are expecting it to go through the uprights. And that is not the kicking. That's not the kicking of my youth. That's definitely not the kicking of the days of yore. That's, that's for sure. But it was also just sort of interesting because nobody else is going to talk about this. But it was a, kind of a weird to watch a game where the kicking was really quite bad in that respect, yet ultimately didn't seem to have an effect on the game itself. When's the last time you saw that many sort of misses and not have any real sort of impact on the game? Yeah, it's true. And I wasn't, I, w- I didn't even think, I didn't even have this like. It's the deep analysis I bring through poetry. Well, I mean, I didn't, but I, the weird thing is I didn't have this like pit in my stomach for the Vikings when Joseph missed that kick. I was like, oh, that's not good, but they had been playing well enough on defense that I still thought they could get a stop there. So it was, but you're right. It was, that had the potential, especially that missed kick had the potential to be the pivot point where they've been playing really well up to 59 minutes and then the, a missed kick is going to cost them and they're going to lose on a last second touchdown, but they didn't. No. It, and so it's just kind of odd to see these things. And I understand what you're saying, like not having that, that pit in your stomach, but it was really sort of strange because we got the opening turnover yep. and it was hard to think anything other than, then okay, here it goes. This is going to be a, a fifty-two to seven beating, right? Right. Uh, but as soon as they got the ball back and scored the the touchdown, right? Something did feel different it about did. that game. Yeah. To the point where not even kicking could disrupt 
Yeah. What the, happened? The McCaffrey fumble was by far the biggest play in that game. Cause I think if San Francisco scores there, it's a much, it's a, obviously the score is different, but the tone of that whole game has changed. Um, yes. Okay. Vaiku three, please. Jordan Addison, a name that fits a haiku, a guy who makes plays. <laughs> he does make plays. He was good. He was, I mean, he's got six touchdowns already this season. They're mentioning him in the same breath of, hey, could he could he challenge Randy Moss's rookie receiving touchdown mark? Um, we'll slow down on that a little bit. But wh- when Justin Jefferson comes back and now seeing more of Addison, it does seem like they're poised once again to kind of have that one-two punch. And even without Jefferson, Cousins threw for almost 400 yards and Addison obviously a huge piece of that. Well, it raises a different question for me as well, which is why have we not seen this breakout game yet? And is it a factor of of Kirk Cousins being sort of robotic in the way that he approaches and, and skips over Addison during his reads? Is it the the coach is not getting him involved as much. Is it why why have we not seen that as of it? This kid is obviously very talented and has made some good catches. And, and when you have Justin Jefferson, he's obviously going to be your number one. Right. But it kind of seems like he had the talent. Where why has it taken half a season to to get to this point? I think with receivers, this does kind of happen where they show flashes, but then they get more comfortable Then they have a breakout game. But I think the biggest reason is that he's just getting more targets now because Jefferson's out. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think we have to look too far to figure out that when Jefferson's in there, Cousins is basically being told, hey, you know, go through your progressions, but there's a guy over here that something that doesn't necessarily look like it's open is open. So you might stop there and say, okay, that's where I'm throwing the ball. Whereas if you were in a more true democracy or meritocracy with your wide receivers, he might be progressing to Addison, who at the start of the year was probably more of a third or fourth option because you're going to give KJ Osborne some looks early because he's the one you know. You're going to give Hawkinson some er- some looks early. So it's probably more of a matter of opportunity and a little bit more experience and Jefferson being out. Well, obviously Jefferson being out affects the way things happen in that game. It just sort of makes me wonder a little bit, though, to what extent could have things look different if Addison had been targeted more, particularly when uh, everybody was dropping every pass that was thrown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was definitely a case to be made that, and they worked him in some, and he'd already caught four touchdown passes before this game, but there was a case to be made that he could have at least been doing a lot more catch and run work early on and taking some of the pressure off some of those other guys. Cause he's just, He's just really fast. When he gets the ball, he is quick. He's got like a little bit of Percy Harvin in him in that regard. And that uh, that is a big-time comparison when you talk about receivers for the Vikings. He does look tiny on a football field, though. He does. He's not big, but he's you know, he doesn't seem like he's afraid of the moment. That's for sure. Okay, give me your last one, please. A playoff rematch is a possibility. It will not go well. Yeah, it almost certainly would be in San Francisco. Almost certainly would be um, with the 49ers probably at more uh, of a full strength. So, yeah, I don't I don't love, you know, they were a touchdown underdog for a reason, I'm sure. You play that game 10 times and San Francisco probably wins seven or eight of them, right? Maybe it's because 
I came of age as a football fan in the 80s. But the San Francisco 49ers are still one of those teams that terrifies me. Oh, yeah. They just, they, they just frighten me to no end. Right? I saw Joe Montana and then Steve Young beat up on pretty good Vikings teams for many, many times in, in the course of my youth. And that team has always been scary to me. And they are still the better team when it's all said and done. I think most people would agree. And the records reflect that. The Vikings happened to win this game. But it's hard to imagine, particularly since when we think about the last time they met in the playoffs. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, I'm just yeah. terrified of seeing this team again. This year, which is somehow now a possibility that we have to talk yes, about it is. because they managed to win this stupid game and we're in a total lack of clarity, bringing it are all you, full circle. Are you out of tank mode now? Are you back in on let's win some games? Well, what else can you do at this point? Right. right. They made it clear that they are not going to be bad enough right. to get the quarterback right. that they need to get. So if you are not going to do that, and if you have a stretch of winnable games, then I guess that's what you have to do. And I am not somebody who's fond of tanking in the first place. This right. just felt like the perfect right. year if right. you were going to do it. But since you're not going to do it, why not Why not run the table as much as you can or Put a string together, make this at least halfway as exciting for the rest of this stupid, stupid season. 2023 Vikings. When all else fails, you might as well win. One final thought on the Vikings. Feels weird to be going into a Packers week without it being Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre at the helm. Three decades. Now it's Jordan Love. Um, a different kind of test, a different kind of quarterback. Struggling a little bit this season. He started off hot. He's struggled the last few games, especially in the first half of games. Can Brian Flores dial up another game plan that rattles a young quarterback? I will be interested to see that, and that will dictate a lot of what happens on Sunday as the Vikings try to pull back to 500 after that rough start to the season. Let us finish with the cooler. Speaking of rough starts to the season, I don't think anybody thought much of Texas or Arizona going into this season. Texas didn't even win 70 games last season, and the year before that, they were like a 100-loss team. Arizona, decent team, but not someone that you thought, hey, this is going. This is a team going to the World Series. Both of these teams now in the World Series, part of this new kind of baseball format that feels a lot more wide open. More teams get in. The division winners, the top two division winners, have a certain advantage by getting a bye and being able to rest their starters, but that did not prove to be a a winning formula this year for all of the top teams in the majors. You know, the guy, teams like the Dodgers, uh, Atlanta, all, all these great regular season teams, Baltimore won 100 games. All these great regular season teams fell by the wayside rather quickly in the playoffs, and now we are left with Texas and Arizona. Final thought on that reminds me of a probably the weirdest baseball road trip we ever did with our group. Um, the only, I think the only one that ever involved multiple flights. For some reason, we 2007, I believe, was this year. We flew into Texas. I think we flew into Dallas, and we saw a Rangers game. Then we managed to, I think, go to San Antonio along the way for some apparent reason, and then into Houston and flew out of Houston, I believe, for some reason, flew out of Houston to Arizona. We decided, I don't know why we decided that these were adjacent 
close things. But we, as we were planning the trip, we we decided we were going to knock off a bunch of these ballparks down in the south, southwest. And all of a sudden, we're like, wow, we can't really drive to Arizona from there. It's a far way away. So we decided to fly to Arizona to see a Diamondbacks game kind of it, for no apparent reason. And then we ended our trip in um, in Vegas. So what a uh, what a weird, long trip that was. Um, I don't the, the baseball wasn't completely memorable. I think Craig Biggio might have hit a grand slam. It might have been his last season. That's kind of what I remember from that year. But um, it was it was a weird baseball road trip and very well represented in this year's World Series is how I will tie that all together. That will do it for me today. Speaking of tying it all together, we'll talk go for football on Thursday show with Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune. Until then, have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll be back at it again tomorrow.